Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. And I have to tell you something, people. It's cooled off this week, but last Monday, this is no lie. Now, fall started last week, I believe. Last Monday, it was actually 104 degrees in Burbank. Now, true, I can't complain because I live in LA and we do have beautiful weather all the time. Today's very nice. It's probably like 80 out. But 104 at the end of September is just not right. So hopefully we won't get that again. I know I looked at my time hop from last year and I think we hit around 100 last year. So we get some weird, weird uh, heat waves in October. Now it's October and it's just, it's not good because, you know, it's fall time. Joanne put a little thing on the door, like a welcome with your the, the wreath, like the fall wreath. And then it's 104. Anyway, we have a great show today. And I found out my uh, my guest, actually, he did live in Burbank for a while. And he doesn't live there anymore. So he's missing the heat. But my guest is Daniel Dela Rejas. How you doing, Dan? Good, good. How are you guys? Good, good. So, uh, so yeah, so you see, now when, when, did you, when did you live in California? How long ago? I lived in California about, I'd say about 10 years now. Okay. Since I, no, I love, before I moved where I'm living currently, which is Georgia. After I joined the Zach Brown Band, I moved over here. But before that, I lived in Las Vegas for a good three, four years. And then before that, I lived in Los Angeles for, God damn it, 20 years or something like that, and right right by where you're at. Okay. it's. Uh, I was reading about you. It's really amazing. Like, a lot of times, I ask my guests, you know, what, what got you into music, what... You know, did you, was there music going in your household? But your whole family is a history of percussionists, right? Absolutely, third generation. It's crazy. So even you know, it's funny. My niece now even plays. She's playing percussion and singing with George Benson. Oh wow! You know, everybody's it's crazy. So, so what was it like growing up around a house like that? I mean, was it was it was there always music in your house, or did your father go away? I know, uh, or, you know, and I believe your grandfather's a player. I mean, how was it all with family reunions and stuff like that? And when you got together, was there always music? It was, you know, it just seemed like the normal thing. Now, of course, looking back in hindsight and comparing it to somebody else's, what what is normal, right? But uh, lifestyle, I just thought that that was it. You know, that was perfectly normal to be the playgrounds or backstages of the hotels in Las Vegas or wherever my dad um, was going off to to uh, get a job and, you know, try to feed five hungry mouths. You know, so uh, I would hang around backstages all the time and people would be coming over to the house whether to rehearse or friends of my father to play jam whatever so I just always thought that that was that was the norm little did I know that how fortunate that was you know growing up hanging around backstage you know meeting Milton Berle and Tony Bennett and Julia Krauts and Debbie Reynolds and list goes on and on and on and on and on and on on. you know many many very famous entertainer from that era, from my dad's era, that my dad played with, or my grandfather, and actually being around that as a, you know, as a, a young kid backstage was pretty crazy. <laughs> that must have been, <laughs> that yeah. That was the norm. Yeah, they're, they're, like, they're like legends, so your, your father was very successful, because he played with these big, uh, big people, I mean, that might for a kid, that must be, I guess as a kid, though, it, it's, it's probably, you, that's what you grew up with, so you don't, think as you said it's the norm so you don't think it's different because that's what you're around now when did you actually start picking up and starting to play at what age and were you always knowing you were going to play going to percussion or was there a thought maybe you'd want to pick up the guitar or anything like that right um well i started playing pretty much right from the get-go i mean i have pictures four or five years old playing around with the pad my dad always had drums around the house, so those were, besides the normal toys, those, those were the things to go and play with. So, um, so I started playing very at a very young age. Very fortunate in that. But um, you know, professionally, I would say, I mean, my first professional 
event I was around 15 or 16 and then that was at a university concert with the Louis Belson band on um, I think that was about the first and then my dad would have us join him on stage and he says it's, I mean we grew up just so you know I mean sitting next to him while playing the shows like throughout and just having to be quiet while the show's going on and there's a drummer you know part, actually we would sometimes be part of the comedic act or their act you know because they would turn around there's like this little head sticking out of you either my older brother or myself you know sitting there next to my dad um, while he played you know some legendary star um, show but uh but yeah, you know, I started playing um, professionally around 15, 16, and then um, played in the junior high school band, jazz band, and then the high school pop band and jazz band, and um, then kept going on from there. But I, I originally started with my father learning because he wanted to always educate, you know, he's the, the, the consummate student and teacher at the same time but it's not always the easiest thing to to teach your son so he tried different many 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 times but it just didn't didn't work so he tried putting me with different teachers and actually one of the first instruments that i started with was the accordion okay. <laughs> um i think i know right um you know where you go to uh a music store and you know, it's like uh, you rent the accordion, <laughs> you take the lessons. So I started on the accordion and then realized that that wasn't too cool. <laughs> but I really liked it, it just wasn't cool. And and, uh, and so I, I stopped and I always was into sports and stuff, but I always would go back to music because we always had a music room, you know, a practice room. And so he always whether my dad was there practicing marimba, timpanis, uh, drum sets, a show, or my brother, who was six years older than I am, but he was um, always, always practicing. So there was always something going on, or many of my dad's friends would come over and jam. So that was just the thing to do. So whenever, you know, Billy Cobham or Alex Acuna or Louis Belson would come over and you know, or the many, many other drummer musicians that would come over, we would just go to the practice room to to go play. And um, so I grew up in and around this. You can just imagine. I wanted to actually, I wanted to do other things. I just did not know how to do that. And those days, I didn't have, like, much counseling other than, you know, you looked at a book, and hopefully that's what you would do after college you know uh look at the pictures when you're young like that career and then later on go and get it unless your father was was that you know and then um but i all i wanted to be a pilot i like flying and i wanted to just be a pilot i just thought that was one of the coolest things in life but then um i had to wear glasses and in those days you know didn't have the LASIK surgery or anything like that. So if you had classes, it's not like you could go into the military, go into the Air Force, and you were pretty much done. <laughs> right. So I was, uh, um, you know, they they put the the big glasses on me, and I was just like oh, devastated. You know, but what can I do? And you know, I kept trying to do sports, and I love I love soccer and I love team sports, and. Um, and then, you know, I just got out of high school and I started working because in Las Vegas there was a lot of work at those those days, you know, especially in the hotels, but I was too young to work in the hotels, but there were still other things that you could do. So I landed a job immediately. I think I was 17 or 16 or 17 and started working with the top 40 R&B, mainly funk, uh, fun band, and we would play some clubs that I could get in and a lot of the military bases, the USO clubs and that kind of stuff and and I would play percussion sitting on drums once in a while and, and that's how I started um, getting you know diving into it like that and 
I just ended up liking it so much. And it was so comfortable for me to be on stage and performing that because I had already been, you know, sitting next to my dad for so many years that that didn't, that wasn't uncomfortable. It was just actually, it was more comfortable doing that than getting up and talking to somebody. So I'd be very, very at ease, you know, being on stage and at living or sharing or adding to a piece of, you know, a, a new song or a song or whatever. Um, it was just uh, great, great and fun times. So, so you're you know? doing that. You're, you're, and you're starting off more in the percussion, and you're drumming now, and you're younger now. As you start getting older, when do you sit there and say, "Okay, you know, I'm having fun doing this. Um, I'm going to make this my career." What age did you really decide that you were going to do this? <laughs> a few years ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, okay, so like I said, I started working. My first job was with, uh, you know, first job touring. was with a gentleman by the name of Ben Vereen. And uh, he was a Broadway music, uh, they call, uh, I mean, he was a comedian, an actor, a dancer, and a singer. So it was killer then to be able to do all of them. And, um, he was uh, a gentleman still around, still doing really, really well. But um, he had done Jesus Christ Superstar, Hair, Pippin, those kinds of shows at that Broadway place. And um, I wasn't pretty. I didn't know that, that genre, because that was more like, in Las Vegas at that particular time, there wasn't real Broadway musicals um, going on. So I, uh, I had to kind of dive into that and learn it. And through the help of my dad and my brother, they helped me out a lot and, you know, but um, so anyway, I started touring with him, and I knew I, I, I really enjoyed going out on the road and, and playing music and, and entertaining. The thing was, to, to what level, because I still wanted to do all these other things. I just, again, I, I didn't know how. I didn't uh, have a big brother that was an architect or policeman or you know, we're everybody's drummer, so, um, I just kept doing that, and, um, then I, you know, what happens to the, the, the music, I wanted more, and, you know, I was heavy into all the, the friends that now were, that had, you know, there were older brothers to me, like, for instance, Alex Acuna and Responsa and all that kind of stuff, um, they would come over, but they lived in Los Angeles, so I wanted more, and there wasn't enough going on in Las Vegas as far as the level of music that I wanted for me at that particular time. There's a lot of incredible musicians, a lot of great shows um, going on, but I wanted more. I wanted more groups, more jazz, and Las Vegas really wasn't uh, really laid out for that. You know, they didn't have a lot of live music and little clubs, and you go see you know, all the different jazz artists that obviously in Los Angeles you had that or New York, right? So I ended up uh, going to Los Angeles and not knowing what I was going to do. I still had the job touring from Las Vegas and I could stay in Las Vegas and do a production show or something like that if I wanted it, but I wanted to go out and live in Los Angeles. My brother had already moved Walfredo, um, to Los Angeles. He was there and he was you know, playing all the time and all the major, you know, the baked potato, which is probably, it was just still there, right? The one, um, the one on, uh, the one on Kwanga uh, is still there. Yeah, yeah, that one. Um, so I, I would go there and, and see him or see Alex or, you know, see Vinny and all the guys and, and became friends with him. But I still lived in Las Vegas but I wanted to go to LA. So, um, but, you know, I was like, 2021, something like that. By that time, you know, I've been traveling a little bit with different artists and and definitely going back to Vegas and working on with all different kinds of groups and some shows. But I wanted to, I wanted more, like I said. And um, so my move to Las Vegas, I mean, to Los Angeles, excuse me. And um, I started auditioning. And sure enough, I went there and my first few auditions, I got my but yeah, you know, um, you know, I, I just wasn't ready. I didn't, I just wasn't, 
and um, it, which was disheartening, but at the same time, it was great because I knew that I needed to pipe down and start really, really studying, you know, and, and so that's what I did. I just started putting in little plans, and then I moved, go back to Los Angeles again, and, and again, I got my, you know, butt kicked again, and, and then uh, I did that three or four times, and finally, you know, I got better and better. I started learning all sorts of different styles and learning them better and reading music and, and learning electronics and learning how to talk and how to perform and different kinds of percussions that I needed to know on top of just, you know, the basic stuff that you would do in, in funk bands or, or, you know, basic production shows. And, and so I started growing. And then with that growth came more work. And then I was able to, little by little, to sustain myself in Los Angeles. And that's where, that's where I, I, I feel I grew the most you so, know, during those years. So you're growing. And that's and kind of, it's good because you, 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 I mean, you didn't give up, which is a lot of times people just say, how you kept coming back, which is great. And, you, and I heard you say something earlier. I watched a little tape of you where, you know, you're still, you, you, you said your, your father still, you know, practices all the time and you say he's not going to go on tour at that age but it seems like you had a good work ethic instilled by him yeah I mean definitely I think it was instilled by him he was non-stop practicing always bettering himself and like you heard on that tape I, if we called him now I know that he'd be either practicing or getting ready to practice or doing something that he wasn't able to do yesterday. That's always my dad. And um, I think he instilled that in all of us so much so that we were like that all the time, always pushing, you know. And I think that leads into anything and everything else that we do besides music. You know, it's always just, well, why not? We're blessed to be here and we're blessed to be able to do that. Why stay stagnant? You know, so a lot of times people, you know, man, you're a great teacher and you educate well. And well, the reality of it is, is I'm a, a student full time. So just information just falls from one entity to another. I just feel like I'm not a teacher, I'm more a student. And it's a perpetual student that just keeps going and learning. And Learning, learning, and growing, and growing, and growing all the time. So, so, so you're in LA. You're you're get you're getting good now. Who do you start working for then? Because I know you you have a really a uh, jam packed resume of people you've worked with. But when you were starting, I mean, Ben Vereen was a huge star. I mean, you played with him in Vegas, but Ben Vereen, I mean, people he was he was Chicken George and Roots. I mean, he's he was accomplished in everything. He was so talented. But when you started to get, when you were playing in LA. Who were some of the bigger people you started getting a break with? I know you know Don Henley and stuff like that, but how did all your breaks start happening in L.A. where you started working for the bigger people? Right. Um, okay, so those, the, the way at least it worked back then, um, I'm not sure if it's still like that now, but um, you just have to, I mean, you didn't have a choice. You just had to do anything and everything in order to meet your responsibilities. And that meant anything. I did work when I first got there. I had to. I was not even music. You know, I was fortunate to, to live in an era where you could live as a musician only. But, again, I was just moving there, so there wasn't enough of that, and I wasn't really known. So... And the jobs that I was getting, you know, that was like $75 a night gigs and $100. And, you know, was, as it is now, L.A. has always been very expensive. So you had to do anything and everything. So that meant all the clubs, jazz clubs. I like the Big Potato. I, I was a mainstay at the Big Potato for a long time. Um, and you would meet a lot of people. And you would be friends and become friends with many you know, bass players, piano players, singers, guitar players, or percussionists and whatnot. And that's how little by little you, it took a long, long time. People, you know, like my brother 
and myself who have a real expensive uh, resume of people that we work with, they don't realize how many people we tried working with and we didn't get the gig. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, I'm talking a lot. So you just can't let it get you. You know, you just got to keep going. So I used to do all sorts of stuff when I first got there just like I said to make ends meet and it was it wasn't easy because obviously I wanted to be a musician full time and the work was getting you know as the more time I spent there the more people I played the more I would practice and study the better I got the more work I would get but even you know you got to take into consideration the cost of living how expensive it is there and then on top of it you know it's a very very competitive place so for every you there's you know a couple hundred of you so you know I mean everything factors in how much you know you're reading the way you are the you know the way you behave yourself um, people you know the equipment that you have and how you play it of course and the way you entertain everything you know so but it was it was so, as I said earlier, it was my, one of my favorite times of my life there at, that, at that, those beginning years because it was so exciting and it wasn't easy, but it was, it was fun. I always made it, made it, you know, real fun to be, to go do everything and anything that, that I would get called upon. And I had to do everything from our next fuzz, uh, Arabic, Persian gigs, which I did a lot of um, weddings, work with a lot of different um, casual, casuals or corporate events, corporate gigs, and knew all the the people that booked those gigs, um, tuxedo gigs, um, obviously recordings, and and you know whether it be for commercials, records, or maybe even sometimes movies. But remember. I said that for every year there's a couple hundred or more. So competition with spears. I mean, I remember Stephen. That one of the first few auditions. Well, the one that I recall, uh, Natalie Cole one that I went all excited. Didn't have all much much money, you know, to buy the music to learn it, and and just just got my butt kicked. I mean, it was horrible. And then I went running with like a little dog with his tail between his leg to go practice study. I needed to learn more percussion, more bells, more timpani in order to do those kinds of jobs. So I would practice that. And um, then, um, then I wanted to maybe expand to try and be more of a drummer um, also. And I remember trying to do, uh, I, I heard, I can't remember how I found out. It was through a singer. I didn't name it Nick. Um, but uh, I got. I heard about the Donny Osmond audition, and Donny was trying to make this uh, transition to the pop world, and, and he had done really, really good. And so he was going out on the tour. Now he had like a couple dollars and you know enough for the gas or the album, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to get this album. And in those days, it was an actual like record. Um, so I remember going to the, the tower over there and getting the music and, and just putting it in the car and just learning and learning and learning. And I had the drum set in the back of this little Honda station wagon. And, and uh, I go to the audition. It was in, in um, well, kind of north of Sherman Oaks over there near Victory. I forget that it's probably, again, the place is probably still there. But, um, but anyway, I'm waiting outside, and you have all this line of drummers, and then came like a truck with a trailer, and a couple of people started taking out these drums, and, and it was just like a stage and a huge double bass drum kit, and, and they went inside with, then all of a sudden this guy got out, and he goes inside, and he goes, oh, that's Ainsley Dunbar. And oh, my God, Ainsley Dunbar. <laughs> and so... He's playing, and we're outside, and I'm listening to the reaction. Everybody's like, 
clapping and every, I mean, it, any little bill, everybody's, yeah, yeah, how cool it was, whatever he was doing was great. And, and it was just like, I'm like outside listening to this, excited to be listening to Haley Dunbar at the same time going, oh no, you know. And, um, and sure enough, Donnie comes out and uh, there was like only a couple of us left and he goes, you know, manager said he'd like to talk to you and, and Donnie was like so nice and it's like, you know, unfortunately, you know, we picked our drummer um, but we really want to thank you for coming and we really appreciate you being here and I'm just, oh, it's okay, it's, it's, it's all right. <laughs> I'm thinking, man, I don't even have gas money to go home. <laughs> and uh, and sure enough, I, mean, I didn't even get to play on that audition. And it's funny because a few years later, I ended up working with Donnie and we became friends. And whenever we see each other, we'd always remember, I would always remember that little story. <laughs> and he walked out of the audition and told me, well, sorry, dude. <laughs> so now, now, how did you end up uh, meeting up with Don Henley, who's also a drummer? So, yeah, Don, who, Don's uh, absolutely, hands down, one of my favorite entertainers ever. Um drummer, singer, person. Um, I mean, how I met Don was because I was working with a gentleman by the name of Frank Sides, guitar player that had played with, um, I believe he did some with Stones and he did some gigs with Stevie uh, Nicks. And um, so I did some, some gigs with Stevie and Frank is the one that when Don was putting his new band together for the Inside Job Tour, uh, Frank called and he recommended me to Don and the management. So that's how the whole thing, and that again, how I got the Stevie thing was just because working so much around town and getting to be known so much that you would get the call as one of the the first guys, you know, for auditions and stuff. And again, you know, like I said earlier, a lot of auditions I didn't get. And some I didn't get the first time and many a couple of years or two, three, four, five years later I ended up working with. I'll give you an example. The Earth, Wind and Fire thing, when I first got called to play with Earth, Wind was because I had played with Philip. And I knew Philip, and Philip was my friend, because we had done jazz tours when Philip was doing his solo career. I used to play with Rodney Franklin, uh, Doc Powell, Ronnie Laws, and Philip Bailey, and we toured Japan. And that was mainly House of Blues, uh, fusion, jazz, events, or gigs. So that's how I met Philip. So when Philip went to put back First One and Fire after their hiatus for umpteen years. They called me, but at that time, I was doing, or getting ready to play with Yanni. And uh, it was it was a tough one because, I mean, I grew up with Earth, Wind, and Fire, and Philip is a friend, and, but, you know, the Yanni thing at that particular time was offering uh, so much money, and it was, a contract, so it was a, on a steady basis. So you're talking, you know, a two, three-year commitment, and um, but still, to a person that that has always been chasing music instead of money, um, that was a hard decision to make. But I ended up working with Johnny, and uh, you know, didn't regret it. And later on, Philip ended up calling me back. And he said, what about now? And I said, yeah, I'm ready. You know, so that's how I ended up doing the Hearst Run Empire. Well, it, it's amazing because, you know, you just said in, in three, in three uh, different instances, three different huge people, but yet three different completely styles of music. So that must be exciting for you. I mean, Yanni, Don Henley, Earth, Wind & Fire. They couldn't be any more different. 
how do you prep? <laughs> how, how do you prep yourself? I mean, yes, you're 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 an, you're a percussionist and a drummer, and you're talented because you're getting the work. But how do you sit there and just? I know it's you do it for a few years, but how do you just like switch gears? Like you're used to playing with Yanni, and then you know you're gonna play with Earth, Wind, and Fire. I mean, how do you mentally get prepared for that? Right, and then mentally prepared at that age, which is that's a whole other animal as to how I would approach it now. Okay. Um, you know, I I have to say because my father was so versatile, I realized and I knew that I just accepted that uh, that was part of being a musician was being able to do all these many different types of genres of music. So it was already like kind of like ingrained in me. So it wasn't just like I was going to be a show drummer or a salsa percussionist or an orchestral percussionist or no, it was just I wanted and I knew that I wanted to try to do as much different genres all the time. It's hard because, I mean, it's hard to just do one great, you know. Um, but I, that's where your, you know, devotion and your practice, I would practice a lot and I would apply basic, basic rules and sometimes, you know, I, I would forget them and sometimes I would try applying them and they, they didn't work. Like I said, a lot of gigs I did not get, but I would learn. Um, you know, basic ones such as, you know, big ears and, and play last and, and, and try to fit in and be a team player instead of, you know, the, the, the soloists and, and, uh, so I would, those, those, those kinds of basic rules would, would help towards any situation. But, uh, yeah, it's just growing up listening to, you know, look, my father was, uh, a, a real big fan and I mean his friends and he came from that era from the 50s you know the bebop era the Philly Joe Jones era you know even the big band uh, with Buddy Gene and Louie era so he was always talking and, and we were like hearing about that and listening to the albums all the time and eventually seeing them as they would come by you know the Bapesy all that kind of stuff but then he was also very much into the you know the the Elvin Jones, you know, the, the bebop era, that Tony, that kind of stuff. And so we'd be listening to that at the same time. He would have to go play shows at night that it would be anything from a production show, which had a little bit of everything, to a show like a Tony Bennett, which, you know, you'd have to be playing plushies and beautiful soft jazz ballads and some big band stuff. But, I mean completely different than other stuff that he'd be listening to in the daytime or talking about. And then he would have to play a comedian. Then he would have to play a comedian or, or a, um, you know, a magician or something. I mean, you know, how, how do you play that? So, I mean, it has a style. And then, you know, the same thing with different dancers. Uh, you know, singer, song, singer, dancer is like, you know, you, you definitely have to know how to play behind somebody like that. So I was watching that. And on top of that, my brother, he was in the band at school, and he was into, you know, The Who and Led Zeppelin and Jimi Hendrix and Three Dog Night. And, and uh, so he'd be all into that. So as younger brother, you always want you know, what's my big brother doing? So, but at the same time, my brother was studying and he was playing at the big band, the, 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 uh, the band at the university and, and that was all, you know, big band charts and all that kind of stuff. And then, and then he, but he was also playing, you know, a lot of R&B and cool stuff, you know, and then he had the Motown thing going on, a lot of Motown groups in the area. And at the same time, I was playing these top 40 bands, and we'd be playing, you know, <laughs> Cameo and Earth, and Fire, and, and all that kind of stuff, you know, for the dance clubs. 
And so I grew up like loving all that different kind of stuff. Then you had factoring also my mom, who was always playing different Latin albums, Taizai, and, and we would always go back to that because that was in such an integral part of our roots. Uh, you know, it's just like somebody, you know, a lot of friends would come over and it'd be, you know, put the records on, put, talking about Tenia Cruz or Tito Puente or, you know, or they would come over. And uh, so there was always that. And then we'd go into the room and we would end up playing a whole lot of drums and percussion. And so we always go in that direction. So, so you could just imagine, I just told you like a whole bunch of stuff. So when, when I got to play with Ben Vereen, the interesting thing is, out of all the styles that my dad would play and that I was introduced to, Broadway really wasn't one of them. But at the same time, he knew because he came from New York and Cuba and Havana. So he knew that. So he started educating, telling me, you know, what to listen for and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I mean right now I'm just, as I'm talking to you, I'm thinking back at all the the, the, the many stories, you know, asking them, what do I do, what do I do, you know, what am I going to do here, I don't even, you know, i got to act like, and play like I know what I'm doing, and I don't, I, you know, three, four jazz ballad on brushes, and I'm like, you know, sweating, because I've never played one, right. <laughs> and uh, he's sitting there showing me, you know, but, uh, but anyway, you know, going back to the, the, the many genres, and I, I found that I've just been always accepting to anything and everything since it's, it's almost like I've been training this whole lifetime for what I'm doing right now. Yeah, how did, how, how I mean, did, it, that's, that's another genre, country. Well, well, I mean, if you go back, you know, in, in the Las Vegas area when I used to have to, you know, when I, whenever I would go back to Vegas and I needed to work, I would work with any band that would hire me, so whether it was percussion or drums, and sometimes I would play with um, these groups that we would tour Nevada, and and it'd be like, you know, country band playing Waylon Jennings, Willie Nelson, you know, Patsy Klein, and, and uh, so I had to kind of learn that, and I, I enjoyed it, you know. It wasn't as rhythmical, uh, playing, you know, Earthland Fire, Lakeside, and Cameo, and that kind of stuff. At the same time, it was fun, and I really would enjoy putting in the radio, and you had that all the time in, in the Nevada area. So the country music was always there. Country music right now is evolved so much that you have the influences on so many different genres of music going on within that. So anyway, um, it, it lends itself, it's it, really easily for a person like me to adapt and, and play what's needed in order to complement that style of music, especially what I'm doing currently. Well how now how did you end up sense. how did you end up with Zach Brown? How did that whole situation start and I mean and what's it like for you now playing I mean I saw some pictures, you know, of you at Fenway and stuff like that. I mean how did you how did you hook up with him? Um, how we initially met, I I had never heard of Zach Brown prior to this meeting, but um, we were at a music event in Northern California where um, there was all sorts of different camps going on. Some of jazz, some of rock, some of, you know, Brazilian jazz, and, and anyway, I went to this one, and I had this carrying the jambé with me. And um, Zach was there, and a few of the guys, and they were sitting in just jamming. And the gentleman I was with, a drummer, by the way, um, by the name of Carl Arnold from Northern California, he said, hey, that's Zach Brown. And, I, you know, I did not know who that was. And... Um, so he, uh, he said, go jam with him. <laughs> and I'm like, Man, I'm carrying a jam band. They're playing a ballet. What are we going to do? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and he's like, go, go, go jam. And I'm like, man, you know, it was like, no, I'm going to put a circle in a square. But he was like, come on, pushing me. And, and uh, 
And then um, Zach looked over. And Zach, just so you know, Zach loved the djembe when he was in college. He used to play a lot. He would write a lot just playing the djembe. Write a lot of songs off of jamming just on his djembe. So when he saw that, he kind of motioned to, to come in. So we played. Not, I mean, I played real simple. Nothing. I mean, just imagine, you know. At the end, then they were kind of playing some, can't remember what song, but it was, uh, I remember it wasn't an off tempo song or anything like that. And, um, but anyway, we ended up talking until we hours in the morning. Also, about all sorts of stuff, music mainly. And then, um, we had a nice rapport. I thought, man, this is a nice guy. And, um, and so nothing of it. We, we laughed, and the next year, we coincidentally saw each other at a similar event, and, um, and he asked me, hey, would you like to sit in with the band? And I had all my percussion stuff. So I said, sure. It was just a tiny. And um, so I sat there, and I didn't know a lot of the songs and stuff, but I just didn't, you know, played it very, very safe. Well, what would be complimentary to that, as safe as possible, you know, just adding little textures here and there. Um, I think he might have given me, like, a little bit of a solo in one of the songs or something, but it was just, um, you know, adding, complimenting what was already there, which was really good. The band was awesome. And then he asked me to join him on tour. And so I went, and the first performance was a video that we did for for the ZBB band project, which is which was uh, live at Red Rocks. And I'm and I and that was like the first performance. I told him, I said, "Man, you didn't tell me it was going to be a video." Right. And um, he's like, ah, don't worry about it. He said, you'll, you'll, you'll be fine. I'm like, man, I like to, you know, know what I'm getting myself into. But anyway, so that performance was just kind of feeling things out. <laughs> Have you ever seen it? That's, uh, you know, Zach at Red Rock, that's the first time I played with him, really. So that's how we met. And then didn't he asked you to join the band after that? Well, well, right, so then after that, we we went on tour, and I joined them, and again, just feeling things out, and um, then I recorded with them, and um, Uncaged came out, and Uncaged uh, um, did really well, and it won a Grammy, and um, but, but before that, he asked me, you know, I mean, they made me a band member, so, you know, I thought, wow, this is cool, you know. Now, how long have you been That's playing how, how long have you been playing with them? Now it's going on five years. Now, what's it like? I mean, October. What's it like when you yeah, five years? What's it like when you play these giant venues? I mean, it must be insane. Like, you know. I mean, do you have to get in a certain zone? I mean, Fenway, it's a legendary place. I know you played there. What is that like? I, people ask me that. I don't do anything different than I would do in in the small club. I put it all out. It doesn't matter where I'm at. So... You know, the, the, the preparation prior to the performance is the same. Um, just warm-ups for me, just so I can feel comfortable, so I don't have to be thinking about execution. I'm just I'm in the moment. You know, so warm-ups is crucial for me um, in order to be able to get to that comfortable spot. Um, as far as how I perform, it is a little bit different only because it's so big that I make things a little bit uh, more visual. So rather than play uh, quicker, smaller notes, I play less, bigger notes. Um, 
because you you know you have to transmit it's you know it's like half a mile down to the end <laughs> and um, even though you have cameras and screens a lot of times you can't you got to make sure so you perform differently in a stadium you perform bigger so you've been, you've been playing all this time and now you know you've, you've been playing for your career and, and now you're doing a lot more you're doing you're giving back I want to hear about your uh, program, Dayglow. The website, people, is dayglow.org. How did you start deciding to get give back? Is that something you've always done? Absolutely. So in, in going back to what I said, it, many of my best friends would come over and grab me and take me on as their students and take me on as their friends and just teach me. And... So it was very comfortable for me to already start giving some of that information to other people. Um, 16, 17 was my first seminar clinic. So already, I was already doing that. So if the information would come to you and you in turn would give to others. That's what I feel that's always been the case. So. You know, in, in joining, when, when I came over here, I had done so many different kinds of seminars, clinics, and I started getting involved with schools, and I would, in, while I was in Las Vegas, go to an organization by the name of Opportunity Village and, and uh, get special needs kids and, and just have fun with them and develop, you know, all sorts of programs and classes with them, um, that it was just something I wanted to do. So when I came over here, um, I bought some property, and I knew I wanted to teach, and I would walk in the back, what I'm looking at right now, and, you know, something I could never do in California or Las Vegas, you know, it's by half an acre, a quarter of an acre, then that's a lot. Here, it's like, you know, five, ten acres, and then, you know, the house is way the other house, the neighbor's house is down there. So I walked up behind the wood. I wanted to do these trails that would lead to areas where we would be able to congregate and talk and play. And, and so I'm talking to some of my friends, particularly a gentleman that's the vice president of Caterpillar, and I'm telling him, sharing with him just some thoughts. He said, I want to help you, and um, he goes, why don't you make those trails? And he said, oh, if you use a tractor, <laughs> and I was like, I've never done anything but music, so... Well, the next few days, there was a tractor here with someone teach me how to drive a tractor. It was crazy. So I started doing those trails that I now call rhythm trails that you would walk kids through these rhythm trails that lead to congregational circles that are representative of depending on the program or the class of different cultures, nations, rhythms, or depending on what it is that we're doing. So um, it was just a way of developing this area to help in order to be able to start developing ways of educating with music. You know, our mission at Daybell um, obviously to incorporate percussion instruments that, um, you know, rhythms and, and, and dance and vocals um, in a way where we can inspire uh, kids um, to come together and and appreciate mainly one another. And that's like with participation, teamwork, um, you know, creativity, uh, you know, talking, communicating with each other. It's, it's, so that's, how, that's our, our mindset, you know. Um, you know, right now the first one is, is is here in Georgia, and we're right now in an interesting place because 
we've already set out. We have our missions, we have our goals, we have our objectives, we have the programs, the curriculums. Um, we just need right now the, the funding in order to build out a few buildings that we need, storage facility, and the educational center. And then after we get that built, start it next year, the programs and classes here on a regular basis, where we recruit the kids from either local organizations or schools that do not have music programs, bring them over here, but also then to go and do one of the most important things is to do outreach. That's why I sent you all those things that I've been doing. Like we, you can just imagine in the future where it's going to go because outreach is, is crucial because that's, outreach is, means more integration. And we're just using music as an incredible tool to, to develop ways of integrating with each other. And what better way than through different, sharing different genres and rhythms and teaching them and developing with the kids so they can play and appreciate that music but appreciate that culture where it comes from. So I'll be able to have here, let's say, a Peruvian quartet come over here to help the kids that are from this area graduate in a Rhythms from Around the World course as they play with a Peruvian quartet their graduation evening performance. You know, but my goal is to have many of these different centers throughout the United States and hopefully the world. Now, as you do this, I mean, it's it's a great it's a great thing you're doing. How do you still concentrate on music? Because this seems like it would take up so much of your time, and it's such a great cause. I mean, do you do you sit there? I mean, how do you ke- how do you keep your schedule straight? Uh, easier said than done. Because I get tired. I don't have the same energy that I used to. But um, I'm getting better at managing it. Um, I still fall all the time and still trying to make it better and that's where the group of people that you have is so important so your team is crucial so this is not a one-man effort on this is a group of people and we encourage each other so but in just talking about me I fall all the time like for instance I'll give you just a silly example you know, on the way to taking out the garbage, I'll stop and build a percussion instrument and maybe write a song and maybe practice some independence when all I was going to do was take out the garbage. So I have that that in me to, you know, here comes a squirrel, boom, boom. I do that all the time. So I have a little system in place, you know, I have to write things down and check them off. So I have my they grow music stuff and then I have my other music stuff and then it is the personal life right and um, so it's, 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 a, it's a fine balance like I'm sure you have found it you just get better at doing it but um, but you definitely need definitely need help and that's where your team is so important no. um <laughs> I was just going to say that, you know, besides my partner in life, Joandra, um, she's helped me tremendously because she's so, she's so passive where I feel like sometimes, you know, get all bent out of shape. She'll just kind of like calm me down. And then uh, my VP and my, my associate, Susan Crowd, who's, She's just um, one of my best friends, and I admire her, and I look up to her, and, and she shows me, you know, she's got three kids, three girls, and she has a whole other business, and she helps me out, and and the way she handles herself is is a great example. So, I, like I said, you've got to surround yourself with some very, very good people and time manage. <laughs> So now, now, uh, when is when are you guys? Are you done the tour, or how often do you go out now? So right now with GVD, we're on a cool little 
I mean, even though we have a couple of events coming up um, this month in particular, November and December is pretty much open, which that hasn't happened since we since we started. I mean, especially the last three years, it's been very, very, very hard, very, very busy. And um, so now for, for us to be taking this, a little bit of time off, we're, we're very grateful and enjoying the heck out of it. So right now, Zach has come out with a cool project because Zach is um, another brain creator. Um, he's just always moving in all sorts of different directions. Um, he's doing uh, an EDM project, which is very cool. I don't know if he's Ever, have you heard any of the ZBB music, Steve? No. So, last few years, we've gone from country, jam band, um, southern rock, with a little bit of flavor of the island, definitely with the percussion going on. And we've incorporated some now last few projects of real good rock and roll in there and some R and B and even a swing song. That's how much was on the last album. So but we did three or four dance style EDM music and um, he wanted to go further into that direction. So right now he's got a project called Sir Roosevelt, which is really cool. And um, so he's working on that, which gives him the ability to kind of, you know, take a little step away from the ZBB thing, and it gives us a little break. And um, and then we're getting back to recording in January with the ZBB cool. project. That's awesome, man. Well, you know what? I want to. Uh, I want. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad we got the hook up. I'm glad you know we were going back and forth today. You were busy. And uh, things are going on. And I want to thank you for coming on. Give all your website information. Give your and your. Give, how can people get in touch with you? Um, so I, you know, the most important thing for me right now is dayglow.org. Um, Dayglow Music is my dream project, and that's you know right now what I'm putting my focus and my main energy on. Um, other than that, through social media, you could reach out to me through Facebook or Twitter. Uh, just at Daniel De Los Reyes. And um, I'm very, very good at responding. Uh, people, people used to think that uh, that I wasn't the one answering or anything like that. No, I just, you know, be patient sometimes because I'm very invested in sharing sharing with people life, you know, whether it be input or, or helping to connect dots. or, And I'm all about, like, always trying to assist somebody else you know, in life. Cool. So through social media or the org, I encourage people if they can, they have um, any sort of, well, on number one, it's not like we just ask for, you know, hey, hey, just give a donation. No, you know, get invested in the, the project and real, read it, feel it. And if you like it, contact us. Obviously, if you want to make a donation, we are grateful, but what we're trying to do is, is is much needed, especially in nowadays. Right. <laughs> um, with with everything that's going on, uh, we need to be more tolerant of each other's differences. And I think this project of Dayglo Music, with using the music as as that tool to break those barriers down, is is crucial. It's much needed, and and it has to be done. Perfect. So, cool. Well, okay. So, people, go see him at day, uh, dayglow.org. Please go follow. It's a good thing. Follow me uh, at Cooper Talk. It's at Cooper Talk. Go to my website, coopertalk.net. Uh, you can also email me, cooper, at coopertalk.net. I will get back to you. And don't forget my low-sodium cookbook at stopthesalt.com. It's great, easy recipes to keep you healthy. You can buy it at Barnes & Noble or Amazon, but if you buy it from me, you make more money. So, please, follow me on Twitter at coopertalk. Instagram and Words with Friend, that's Cooper Talk 1. 
Don't forget dayglow.org and check out Daniel De Los Reyes on social media and uh, check out his music. He's got a great he's got a great uh, history. You look go to his I looked at his Wikipedia. It's amazing. So I want to thank you for listening, people. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you next week.